We need to talk. Parents who wants to line up, you know, got something to say. There is a subject that all of us need to talk with our children about. It's not one that we need to use a megaphone. It's one that we need to sit down and have an eye-to-eye conversation. And the subject is healthy sexuality. Now, I know for a lot of us growing up, our parents never talked much about sex. And so the idea of sitting down with our children and having that important discussion makes us feel very uncomfortable. A vast majority of students will tell you today that they hear more about sex from their peers, the media, and school than they ever do at home. But parents, that's bad news. Because all of the studies tell us that positive, value-centered sex education from the home is what leads to less promiscuous kids. Jeremy was a seven-year-old boy and he burst through the door at home after school one day and said to his mom, Mom, what is sex? Now she knew the question would come eventually. She wasn't expecting it on this day. Her husband happened to be out of town on a business trip and she thought of all the times they're asking me. But she thought to herself, I've always said when he asks, I'll answer his questions. So she told him to sit down at the kitchen table. She took out a plate of cookies and uh, laid it in front of him, poured him a big tall glass of milk and set it down, sat down across the table and launched into a 45-minute explanation about what sex is. She explained the male body parts and the female body parts in the reproductive system and how babies are made. And she drew pictures of sperm and eggs and uh, even told some things about her honeymoon. And uh, little Jeremy sat there with his eyes as big as saucers. As she explained all of this, he listened attentively for 45 minutes. When she was finished, she looked at Jeremy and said, Do you have any questions? He kind of fidgeted in his seat a little bit. Then he reached into his back pocket, took out a piece of crumpled paper and unfolded it, looked at it for just a moment and then said, Well, yeah, this is my soccer application and I'm still not sure what to put where it says sex, M or F. Well, like Jeremy's mom, the thought of discussing the S word with our kids can induce panic in even the most confident of parents. That's why as we continue our series Parental Guidance today, I want to take some time to offer you some encouragement about this very sensitive subject. I want to talk about how it is that we can develop a healthy sexuality in our children. We've been looking at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 throughout this whole series. It's kind of our theme verse. It simply says this, Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. If ever there was a subject matter where we need to help our children choose the right path, it is the subject of healthy sexuality. I think most parents, I would hope actually all parents, have a goal of helping our children remain sexually pure until his or her wedding day. And I think even beyond that, we want to help them develop a sexual integrity that lasts a lifetime. We want to teach them about how they're supposed to treat members of the opposite sex. We want to instill in them the the beauty and intimacy of a sexual relationship inside of marriage. We want to teach for them the importance of being faithful in mind and body. So today I want to offer some insight about that. I want to look at two passages of Scripture as we get started this morning that sort of lay the foundation for everything that we'll say. 
And I think these are the two passages of Scripture among many others that parents, as they have this conversation with their children, ought to point their kids to. The first is in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is talking and teaching one day and He addresses the subject of God's creation of sex. Here's what He says, Matthew chapter 9, 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And you know what, parents? One of the foundational things that we need to teach our children is that sex was God's idea. Now, I know in uh, the history of the church, as I was growing up at least, sex was something that was just never talked about in the church. In fact, it was treated as if it was this dirty secret almost that should never be talked about. But in reality, sex is something that God created. He intended that it would be a beautiful thing inside of the marriage relationship. And that it would be a thing that would unite husband and wife. And we need to help our children understand and see that it was God's wonderful idea. But He had very clear guidelines about where this gift was to be used. And the gift was only to be used in the marriage relationship. Then there's another passage of Scripture that I want to spend a little more time on today found over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible with you today, let me encourage you to open up to that because we're going to spend a few minutes here and I think you may want to mark some things and write some things down because I think this is a great verse for you to use to sit down and have a discussion with your kids about healthy sexuality. Paul is writing here. He's a leader in the early church. He writes this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Now in all of chapter 6, he talks about sexuality. But I want to kind of focus our attention beginning in verse 18. He says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside their bodies. But those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, parents, I think this gives us a great synopsis of things that we ought to teach our children about healthy sexuality. Here's the first thing. It gives us the question or helps us define what is sexual immorality. The word immorality, the Greek that's used there is the word pornea. And I simply tell you that because you would recognize one of the words that we get from that root, the word pornography. That word immorality speaks to any kind of sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship. Now let me speak very frankly for a moment. There is a growing trend among students and young adults who believe and have been convinced by our culture that oral sex and mutual stimulation is not really sex and that there's nothing wrong with it. 64% of 15 to 19 year olds have engaged in oral sex. There is this growing idea in our culture that it's simply not wrong. But according to the word that's used here in the Bible, according to what God teaches, and students, I hope I have your attention for a moment because you need to hear this. According to what the Bible says, oral sex and mutual stimulation are sin. It is 
a form of sex. And in God's eyes, it is wrong. And parents, that is a conversation that we need to continue to have with our children. Because our culture is screaming out to them that those actions are perfectly okay. And we need to have the conversation that points them to the truth of the Bible that says, no, those activities are not okay. They are sin. Secondly, notice here, the writer says that we are to flee sexual immorality. That we're to run away from it. A lot of you know that uh, before we began Crosspoint, I was on staff at a church in Fort Myers, First Christian Church, and uh, served there for a number of years. And uh, this was part of our facility. We had a pretty large campus and a large building. And there were many occasions that I would find myself there late into the night, late into the evening. It was dark outside, and I would be locking up things, getting ready to leave, and heading out of the building. And there were a few times that as I was walking up and leaving this big, dark building, I would hear noises. Now, you know what I would do when I heard those noises? I, I left. Yeah, because I'm a big scaredy cat. Do you think I went back to check and see? Oh, what's going on? What dangerous thing could be causing those noises? No, I got out of there. Got in my car, locked the door, and went home. The Bible says that when it comes to sexual immorality, that's to be our response. We're to run. We're to get out of there. We're not to run back and see what dangerous thing might be there. We're not to get as close to the line as we possibly can. No, the Bible says, run, get away from it. And parents, as we teach our children about healthy sexuality, we need to teach them to flee sexual immorality. And you know what? Sometimes, parents, we need to teach them literally to run in the other direction to keep themselves pure. The third thing that I notice in this passage is that your body is the place where God lives. Let me read you verse 19 again, this time from the message translation. It says, or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? You see, our bodies are more than skin and bones and tissue and organs. The Bible says that our bodies as Christ followers are the place where the the Holy Spirit of a holy God dwells. Your body is a sacred place. I've been to Russia a couple times and I've talked about that in the past. And one of the thrilling things for me every time I've been there is to visit Russian Orthodox churches. They are such incredible places inside. Now you look at some of them from the outside and they are worn by the years. But inside, you will find these incredibly ornate objects. And I, I tell you, every time I have been in those buildings, I have just had this sense that this is kind of a, a sacred place. And when I have been in there, I can't imagine screaming at somebody across the room. Or I couldn't imagine going in there and horsing around or throwing a ball around or doing anything that would be destructive, even though throughout the years people have done things to destroy the Orthodox Church, the insides of things. But when I'm there, it just has this sense that it is a sacred place, a place that I would never want to hurt or misuse. The Bible says that our bodies, because the Holy Spirit of a holy God lives inside of us, is that kind of sacred place. 
And we don't have a license to misuse it or to damage ourselves through sexual sin. The Bible says we need to take care and honor this sacred place. One more thing. I notice in verse 20, again reading from the message, it says this, Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? Parents, we need to teach our children that God owns the whole works. God owns us. You see, God purchased us at a very high price. When we were still guilty of our sin, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross a horrible death to pay the price for our sin. We were purchased at a very high price. And we belong to God. If you went out today and purchased a brand new car, in fact, just picture in your mind that dream car that you would love to have. Imagine buying it brand new. It is spotless, not a scratch on it. It has that wonderful new car smell inside. And I came to you later today and said, could I borrow your new car? And because you're such a generous person and I am such a trustworthy guy, you would say, absolutely you can borrow my car. And suppose I took that new car that you own out and I took it on a cheap thrill ride and I got it scratched up and banged into something and dented one side and I brought it back to you scratched and dinged and dirty. How would you feel about that? How do you think God feels when we take this body that He purchased at such a high price and we damage it with sexual sin? We scratch it up because we have misused it sexually in a way that He never intended, in a relationship that He never intended. I don't think it makes Him feel very good. And parents, we need to help our children understand that they were bought at a high price. And God owns them. And we need to care for these bodies that He has given us. And we need to protect them sexually. Parents, just in case you're not fully convinced that it's important that we have these kinds of ongoing conversations with our children about healthy sexuality, and the kind of thing we're talking about today doesn't happen in a one-time conversation. This is an ongoing process with our children. This is more than a, I sat down and I did the birds and the bees conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. And just in case you aren't fully convinced what we're up against, let me tell you some of the obstacles that our children face and that we face in dealing with all of this. 60% of 16 to 18-year-olds will have engaged in sexual intercourse by the time they graduate. One-third of 13 to 15-year-olds will engage in sexual intercourse. 67% of those teenagers who engage in sexual intercourse will tell you they wish they had waited. The first access to Internet pornography comes at an average age of 11 years old. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, but I have learned it recently. Have you heard of the term friendship or friends with benefits? It's a very prevalent term among our students. They know exactly what it means, most of them. It means friends who determine they have no connection to each other, no level of commitment other than we're friends, but we'll be involved sexually with each other just to give each other the cheap pleasure of that. 
with no further commitment. Friends with benefits. Let me show you this chart. This chart shows the age of dating and then gives you the percentage who will have sex before graduation. So in other words, if a child or a kid starts dating at 12 years of age, 91% of them will be involved sexually before they graduate. If they begin dating at 13 years of age, 56%. 14 years, and you can read it, 53%. But if they don't start dating until they're at least 16, that percentage drops to 20%. So what do we do about all this? Let me try to give you some practical tools then based on what we've looked at in Scripture and the kinds of things that we need to teach our children and the obstacles that we are up against as parents, let me give you some practical tools to help teach your children to have healthy sexuality. First, we need to talk. We need to have communication with our kids. And again, let me reiterate, this is not a, oh, one time we'll sit down and we'll have the talk and that's the end of it. It's an ongoing process of communicating with them. Parents, we need to... Talk to them at age-appropriate levels about the issues that they are facing. And honestly, maybe you're thinking, I I don't know what those age-appropriate levels would be. Well, you're not alone in that. In your uh, weekly update today, there is uh, the Parenting Dare that we've been uh, passing out every week throughout the series. And inside of that this week, there one of the days, there are several resources that you could look at. And among those resources, you will find a lot of these people talking about what are the age-appropriate conversations to have with your children. So I'd encourage you to to check those things out and to sit down as a husband and wife and have a plan for when are the appropriate times for us to discuss these things with our children. I would encourage you that it's important um, to do a weekend away with your children as they enter puberty. I I think that uh, if possible, if there are two parents, that boys ought to go away with their dad, girls ought to go away with their mom. And you ought to spend the weekend talking about some very important issues. And there are some great resources that can help you through that. Uh, James Dobson has some material called Preparing for Adolescence. It's on CD that actually, uh, I did this with my boys. You go away and you listen to these lessons together and there are things then that you talk about. Uh, Dennis and Barbara Rainey have created something similar called Passport to Purity. And I'd encourage you to, to go away sometime where you can have extended periods of communication about these important issues. Now, parents, I understand that sometimes uh, we get it a bit wrong. I heard about Johnny who came bursting into his grandma's house one day. He had been spending a few days with her. And he came bursting in after playing with some friends. And he said, "Uh, Grandma, what's that called where uh, two people sleep together in the same room and one is on top of the other? And the grandma thought, oh, no, I can't believe he's asking me this. And she said, but I'll I'll be truthful with him. She said, "It's, it's called sexual intercourse. He goes, okay, and runs back outside. A few minutes later, he comes back in and he says, Grandma, that's not called sexual intercourse. That's called bunk beds. And Timmy's mom wants to talk to you right away. We could probably use some help at times, parents. And so I encourage you, use those resources, but talk to your kids. Second thing is we need to help our children set God-honoring standards. We need to help them set God-honoring standards. Hey, do you remember the first week as we began this series, we talked about the IY generation. And we said they are advanced in many ways more than previous generations. But one area that they tend to lack behind other generations is in their emotional development. And because they are not developing emotionally as quickly as they maybe ought to, 
it would be very difficult. It, it is probably unrealistic for us to think down and the, to, to think that they will sit down all by themselves and develop God-honoring standards. They could use our help and our guidance as parents to sit down and to develop some God-honoring standards for their lives. Let me suggest some areas that I think that we need to help them um, with setting these kinds of standards. Well, I think we need to talk about modesty. I think this is applicable to both boys and girls, but probably a lot of times more so to girls simply because guys are so visual. And parents, I think we need to sit down with our young people and you need to talk about modesty. And dad, you need to help your daughters especially understand what guys are thinking when they are wearing clothing that is revealing or fits too tightly. In fact, you need to you want to probably really help them along. Help them point out to them that it's not just their peers that are often looking at them. That probably guys your age are noticing how they're dressed. And help them to understand that when they dress that way, they are sending the wrong messages. I think we need to sit down and help them set some standards about their intake of media. Because the more sexually provocative kinds of media that they are listening to and watching on TV, every time that happens, it takes down a wall of sensitivity in their life. It takes down a healthy barrier that God gave them. And the more that barrier gets removed, the more likely they are to begin to give in to sexual temptation. I think we need to uh, talk very clearly with them about how far is too far. Because we all know when you get to inspiration point or whatever the terminology would be today, it's too late, isn't it? We need to help them decide before they ever go out on the first date, how far is too far? And what are you going to do when it gets uncomfortable? What's your plan of escape? I think we need to talk about self-control. And I would focus this more towards the guys. And I would say, fathers, we ought to have conversations with our boys about what they do with their eyes. I think we need to level with them and say, you know what? It's part of the way God made you that you're going to notice. But it's the second and third look that become a problem. We need to talk about what some people have called teaching them to bounce their eyes. That yeah, they're going to notice the attractive girl when she walks down the street, but it's the lingering look and it's the thought process of things that they shouldn't think about that become wrong. And so the first time that they notice, they need to bounce their eyes, move their eyes to a different place. We need to help them develop that kind of self-control. I think we need to talk to them about how to set God-honoring standards with the Internet. We've referred to that other weeks and the dangers of pornography are incredible. I heard one author this week say he believes pornography may be the undoing of the current generation. That's pretty frightening. So parents, we need to talk to them. We need to make sure we have put safeguards on their computers. That we go in once in a while and check where they've been. That we, I think probably we shouldn't let them have their computer in their bedroom. It's just too tempting. Keep it out where it's a public space where people can see what they're looking at from time to time. I think we need to talk to them about setting God-honoring standards when it comes to alcohol. Because there is a direct correlation to the use of alcohol in their lives and the lowering of their guard. I don't remember the percentages, but the percentages of young people who get involved sexually are much higher when alcohol is involved. And so we need to have a very honest conversation with them about how to avoid that in their life and how to set that standard in your home. 
We want to help you in this. Uh, coming up in just about five weeks in uh, both middle school and high school, uh, Brad is going to be doing a, a series about uh, how to set a standard of purity in a teenager's life. And so parents, we want to partner with you in that, and Brad wants to do some things to help teach right into their lives. But uh, you have to be our partner in that, and part of being your partner is making sure that your young people are a part of what is happening with our middle school and high school students on Wednesday and Thursday nights. And uh, we'll join hands with you then in talking about that. But don't just send them there and don't ever and not talk about what goes on there. Let them participate in that. Encourage them to participate in that. But when they get home, sit down and have a conversation about what they've talked about and how, that, how your family views that. Third thing that I think parents on a very practical level that we need to do is we need to make the consequences clear. We need to have very honest discussions with our students and with our children about the consequences of sexual immorality. We need to talk to them about what would happen if they got pregnant or if they got someone pregnant and about how that would turn their life upside down and how that's wrong to God in God's eyes. We need to talk to them about the consequences of sexually transmitted diseases. And I'm not even going to begin to delve into that. It's just an incredibly huge subject. And if you're not aware of some of the current information about sexually transmitted diseases, then you need to go to some of those resources that we've given you. And parents, you need to get educated. It is frightening stuff. But you need to know what's going on and you need to have that conversation with your children. You need to talk about the consequences that come emotionally. We need to help our students realize that when they get involved with someone sexually, they cross a line that God intended for marriage. And there is an emotional attachment that takes place in their relationship that is very difficult if there is ever a breakup. Did you know that 70% of teen suicides are directly related to a relational breakup? Because they have crossed that line emotionally and they can't deal with the breakup. It's like a divorce for them. And we need to talk about the consequences spiritually. We need to talk with our kids and teach them and help them to see in the Bible that sexual immorality is wrong in God's eyes and it breaks our relationship with Him because it is sin. And there are consequences that come as a result of that broken relationship. Last thing then, parents. The last practical tool that we need to use is that we need to practice grace and forgiveness with our kids. You know what? We, don't, we hope it doesn't happen. But some of our kids are going to mess up. And when they do, they need to know that we still love them. They need to know that their sexual immorality is not the unpardonable sin. They need to know there are consequences. And as a parent, you can't make those consequences go away. But they need to know that like God, there will never be a minute that you stop loving them. It doesn't matter what their mistake was. There will not be one second that you will stop loving them. And God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Joe was a butcher. He's a big guy. His wife had died a few years earlier and he had a little five-year-old daughter named Madeline. Did the very best he could to raise her. They had this family tradition that when they would, the whole extended family, we'd get together at Christmas and they would eat together on Christmas Eve. 
And then it was their custom that Papa, as she called him, and Madeline would dance. It was it became the highlight for her. Her every year her dad would act sort of like he had forgotten and she would remind him, Dad, aren't we gonna dance tonight? And they would, and he would in those big arms he would wrap them around her and they would dance around the living room. Well, as Madeline became a teenager, she got involved with a young boy and they crossed the line sexually and got involved in ways they shouldn't have. And their emotions got involved and conversation at home stopped generally and the relationship with home was difficult and one day she and her boyfriend decided they were going to take off and they got on a bus and headed for the city. He had a cousin there they were going to live with, but after a couple of days that didn't work out and the cousin threw him out and the boyfriend headed back home, but Madeline and her pride wouldn't go. And there she was, stuck on the street. She found a shelter where she had enough money to stay a few nights. Somebody told her that if she would go and dance on tables for men, she could make enough money to live. And so she gave it a try. And she found she could. She could make enough money. One day the cousin that she had been living with showed up with this whole stack of letters addressed to her and he said, he doesn't know that you've moved out. Won't you tell him that you've changed your address? And he gave her all the letters, but she, she didn't want to face what was in those letters and so she just set them aside. And life continued and she felt further and further from Dad and further and further from God. One day she showed up in her dressing room and one of the girls said, there's a letter that came for you. And she looked at it and noticed there was no postmark on it. And the girl said, yeah, a big man delivered it. And she said, he was here? She, the curiosity overcame her and she ripped open that letter. She read what was there and it said, I know where you are. I know what you're doing. The invitation will always be there. What invitation, she thought. And so she began to, to rip through other letters and soon the, the floor was covered in all of these letters that she had opened. And five minutes later, with one letter in her hand, she was out the door, headed for the bus, thinking, I think I can make it home in time. She got home just as the family was kind of wrapping up Christmas Eve. She walked in the door and one of the relatives saw her and said, Hey Joe, somebody's here to see you. Papa came through the door and he saw his girl. And she said to him, If the invitation is still open, I accept. And Papa said, of course he did. And he took her in those big arms and they danced again. She still held the invitation in her hand and said, please come home. Let's dance one more time together. You know what? This is a hard subject for us to talk about, isn't it? Because a lot of us, somewhere along our journey in life, have messed this up. Maybe it's been really recently. And the guilt's still pretty heavy. Maybe it's somewhere farther back, but you have never forgiven yourself. And you've never let God forgive you. You know what God says to you today? If you'll come back to me, we can dance again. Won't you have just one more dance with Papa? And He wants to shower you in grace and shower you in forgiveness if you'll just quit holding on to it. And you'll give it back to